Live from Yankee Stadium, it's the Yes Men. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Yes Men podcast. I am Lou DiPietro, and to my left, even as we stand across from each other at Yankee Stadium, is Doug Williams, my co-host extraordinaire. And we are here as we tape. Uh, we are on the concourse at Yankee Stadium. It is the middle of the doubleheader on Wednesday with the Cubs. The Yankees winning game one three to nothing behind a dominant performance by Masahiro Tanaka, who was, in a word, filthy. Yeah, he was. He was. It looked like he, you know, he didn't even have to throw one pitch angry all night. It was just free and easy. He uh, he had everything working. I think Brian McCann used the word flawless when talking about him. He was really perfect. And, you know, it's been an interesting day at the stadium because it snowed this morning. They had to blow the ice off the infield from the tarp. And now it's it's become really a beautiful what would normally feel like fall, but yeah. it's uh, the sun is now going to go down. It's going to be a cold one tonight, but uh, yeah, Tanaka was terrific. Uh, he right now looks like the best pitcher on their staff. I'm not really sure it's debatable there. You you can say CC Sabathia is the ace all you want, and he's yeah. been okay, but. Tanaka looks like the guy that, that you want on the hill if you want a victory so far. Absolutely, and by the time you hear this, we'll have seen or at least part of seen part of what uh, Pineda brings to the table tonight, but he's been great too. But yeah, Tanaka is now the all-time leader uh, in his first three starts as a Yankee. He has 28 strikeouts. That's more than anyone. As is well documented on the broadcast today. Yes. So, I mean, he passed Al Leiter, who's in the booth today with Michael Kay. He passed uh, Bob Turley, I believe, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, who had 27. I mean, that's 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 something in and of itself that he's just that dominant this early on. And I've been saying this all year, Lou. I think that the two guys that we're seeing in this doubleheader today are the two most exciting pitchers for Yankee fans to watch. I mean, yeah. Hiroki Kuroda is good almost every time he goes out there, and there's something to be said about that. But Pineda and Tanaka really bring the most excitement to the mound. Pineda brings the most velocity by far of any pitcher on their staff. And Tanaka, obviously, it goes without saying the excitement he brings onto the mound. And you know what? Today... Today's lineup from, you know, both the first game at one and tonight's game, they're both going to be abbreviated because you're not really sure uh, who's going to be out there. You don't want guys playing both games. Yeah, you're going just, based on feel. Today was one of those games where the Yankees got the offense that they wanted yep. and, and it was all that they needed. And and yep. I think tonight, I because this is what I do and because uh, the Yankees are, you know, covered by yes and I wanted to not be caught off guard by anything, I kind of predicted their lineup for tonight actually. I was at I was at home. Really? I think, I bet you John Ryan Murphy's in it. I think John Ryan Murphy will be catching. I think uh, McCann will get the day off. I think Ellsbury DHs. I think uh, Bel- uh, Beltron will also sit. So you're gonna have Ichiro, John Ryan Murphy. I think Sizemore plays again. Uh, Jeter will start it short. Yep. Solarte will play second again. Kelly Johnson will play first again. So it's not going to be their A lineup, but I think they look at that as, well, it's the Cubs, and we might be able to win while resting some guys. My guess would actually be um, somewhat along those lines. Ichiro's going to play. John Ryan Murphy's going to play. Jeter's going to play. Roberts probably won't. Right. I would imagine that somebody takes over for Johnson at first base just because there's a lefty on the mound. So to give Johnson maybe a blow against a lefty in the second game of a doubleheader. He hits lefties well, though. That's the one thing I would say. They don't have a backup first baseman, and he does hit lefties really he does. well. He does. But you might you see know, Scott Sizemore's first career start at first. Girardi did say he wouldn't hesitate. Sizemore's taking some ground balls there in Scranton. He was supposed to play there the other day, but their game got snowed out, speaking of bad weather in Buffalo. So you could see a, you know Solarte, Jeter, Anna, Sizemore alignment around the infield with Johnson kind of in limbo if, if something needs to uh, – 
something needs to be done or a change needs to be made, he can kind of go in there and, and play first or third even. And it's been a you know it's been a very interesting start uh, to the season for the Yankees, and it's also been an interesting end of the season for the other team we cover. At yes, the Brooklyn Nets. Yep. They kind of have stumbled into the playoffs. Yep. And, you know, it's the time of the year where, you know, baseball is kind of got everybody's attention. But as soon right. as the NBA playoffs start, that's those are some exciting games. Well, we have that and the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, as we've said many times on this right. podcast, right now the is year. the best time in sports. A lot of people right now are talking, and I hope I didn't segue too soon into the Nets. It's just, you know, there's a lot to talk about with that team. Mason Plumley. A lot of people are talking about him as the kind of guy who could be as important to this team as you know Joakim Noah is. The, the plum dog millionaire hat uh, yeah. tip Devin from the exactly. Brooklyn game on yeah. that one. He really is the kind of guy that has totally changed that team. His ability to play the five and play you know very physically defensively. It's been really cool. You know, th- there's that phrase, "the best played plans of mice and men," and you can finish that however you want. But earlier this year, you know, Plumley wasn't thought to be a big part of the rotation then Brooke Lopez got hurt back in you know July August September October Billy King even said multiple times the idea for Plumley this year was he'd probably spend a lot of time in Springfield learn a little bit in the D League come up when needed kind of get mentored by Garnett maybe a little bit by Lopez on the NBA when he was around he's now turned into their starting center and when Brooke Lopez is back next year that is a dynamic duo yeah it really is and it's been so interesting how well they've done at times without Brook Lopez this year. They've almost put him in the in the rearview mirror because of how good Plumlee's been. I remember at the beginning of the season we were at a, a bunch of different uh, Brooklyn Nets practices getting some video, and you could tell the amount that Kevin Garnett was tutoring Brook. I, I mean uh, Mason Plumlee, and and you could tell that Mason Plumlee was athletic. I mean obviously he was a very good player at Duke, but you never know how far that's going to go in the pros. He's just a, he's a high-flying guy who's gotten much more physical and much, much stronger. Uh, and he's at, the one that the blocked pros. LeBron's shot at the last second of in the Nets win over Miami that gave him a season sweep. I mean, that was pretty much the full-circle moment, the apex of the season, where this guy who was really thought to be the 15th man, for all intents and purposes, is the guy that came up with the biggest moment and possibly the biggest game of the year. All right, so let me ask you this, because this is kind of a hot topic right now in terms of just kind of the NBA and the Eastern Conference, and the Eastern Conference is a mess right now. You, you know, you thought that you were going to have the great Indiana and Miami, but they're both stumbling into the playoffs right now. If you had one team that you think the Nets, you would want the Nets to play and win, who would it be, Indiana or Miami? Miami's a better matchup. I, okay. There's just no doubt about I mean, the four wins aside, you can take that and say, well, you know, they could sweep them and you wouldn't be out of the ordinary because they've won four games. I don't think they would win four in a row, and they might not win four period out of seven. The thing is is that they have that confidence going into that matchup that says we've beat Miami twice on their home floor, twice on ours. We've beat them in the last second three times. You know, they have that confidence where they can go toe-to-toe, and it does not phase them that the Miami Heat are the number one or number two seed, the defending, you know, two-time NBA champions, three-time Eastern Conference champions. That does not phase them in the slightest. Yeah, I don't think that's a legitimate argument. I know that people are saying, well, they're the defending two-time NBA champions. Well, guess what? Those were the last two years. We're right. talking about right now. And this Brooklyn Nets well, that team right now. carries a little now, bit of a swagger with it. No, I understand it. I understand it. But I don't think it means anything, and it puts it doesn't put them over the Pacers in terms of, the matchup with the Brooklyn Nets. I wouldn't say, well, because they won last year, I wouldn't want to play them right now. If anything, I would look at the Indiana Pacers as the team that are going to be hungry this year to finally dethrone 
the Miami Heat and would want to play a team like Brooklyn because they are oversized and they have all those trees down low that Brooklyn just doesn't have. Right. The Heat are the better matchup. I don't care how many championships they've won. The only thing is... It, you, you catch yourself saying that, and they have the best player on the planet. And they have the, the best planet. player on the planet, yeah. Right. And two other guys who are pretty darn good. The worst, you know, the worst on paper path for the Nets would be a 4-5 matchup with the Bulls team that beat them last year, and then going into the, knowing that Indiana's the one, that that would be their second-round opponent. Ideally, you want Toronto and Miami in the first two rounds. You're going to have to beat Indiana eventually. You know that you're going to have to beat them both. That's just the way right. it is. It, well, you're going to have to beat everybody, and I think that if they think about it that way, it almost seems like nobody's going to make it to the finals right. and nobody's going to win the championship, but somebody does, and Some the Brooklyn people. Brooklyn Nets are looking yeah. at it like maybe, you know, why not them? And, you know, the way all these teams are stumbling into the playoffs, Michael Kay mentioned this uh, Tuesday on his show, uh, you know, and Don LaGreca was reading off the, the, the from NBA.com, I'm assuming, the, the recent records of these teams, and teams are five and five six and four in their last ten everybody is kind of stumbling in the playoffs now you know Miami's going to kick it up a notch in the postseason because that's what they do you assume Indiana's going to do it because they know that they have they can get to where they are by doing what they're doing now but when it comes to the playoffs they need to kick it into gear it's going to be interesting I think Nets Bulls would be a great first round matchup I think Nets Raptors would be a much better first round matchup for the Nets but either way, I mean, that's one step of the journey. So you can't say, oh, well, you know, we, we drew the Bulls again and we lose in seven or whatever it may be. You can't, you can't put a pin on that and say, well, you knew it was coming. Right. Th- that's the first step of the journey. And you can't look beyond that. But in reality, you know you have to be Indiana and Miami to win these The Eastern way Rams. I feel right now, Lou, if I could sum it up, it's the Western Conference has always been the significantly deeper team. You right. know, the, the Phoenix Suns would be the five seed in the East, and they're not even making the playoffs. We've all known, we've always known, that the Western Conference had more good teams. But we kind of thought that the Eastern Conference was top-heavy and that the Heat and the Pacers could maybe beat any of the Western Conference teams. That's not a case, the case yeah. anymore to me. Uh, I think the San Antonio Spurs right now look almost unbeatable. Right. Uh, the you know the Thunder. You never know what team's going to show up with them, but they and, have the talent and, and the, the scoring. And the Clippers can surpass them for the number two seed on, Clippers on Wednesday as night. Well. And remember the five seed in the West. It, you know, is Lamarcus Aldridge. That hungry. Like, pl- yeah, Blazers that Portland team. team that, that at the beginning of the year I thought they're going to be like the one or two seed, and you know possibly be in the finals and now they're a five seed like how ridiculous is that they're a dangerous they have 52 wins or something crazy like that so i would say there's nine teams that can win the nba championship this year and seven of them are in the west that's how dangerous (laughs) it is yeah i I I mean that's i I don't really see phoenix winning the nba championship but i think a few have counted brooklyn into that mix in terms of a team that could maybe get a championship but it's such a long road. If you think mm-hmm. about the East, which is all we've been talking about, and now you think they have to beat whatever the best team in the West is, yeah. it's not going to be easy. You're going to need a guy like, to me, you're going to need a guy like LeBron James to beat a team in the West, the, especially whoever comes out. I have no idea who's going to come the out. The saving grace for that will be a little bit that, you know, they're, you're looking at teams like the Hawks, the Bobcats, and the Wizards, who are, you know, at least in the Bobcats and Wizards um, situations, they're young teams not very playoff experience. They may be a little jittery. I mean, those are the teams that end up getting crushed 4-0, but you look at that and go, you know what, they did. A, they had a better showing than at least what the numbers say. They weren't as bad as the 0-4 sweep. But, uh, you know, I still am going to stick with my prediction that I made a couple weeks ago on this podcast. I still think Miami's going to beat San Antonio in the finals. Just the way everybody has limped into the playoffs, like I said, you know Miami's going to kick it up a notch. You don't know if Indiana's going to. And even if they get Game 7 on their home floor, will it matter? 
So you had uh, San Antonio, Miami. I have Indiana against the, the Thunder. Thunder. And uh, I just think it's Kevin Durant's year. I think the Thunder will end up winning. Once again, we're at uh, Yankee Stadium. It's it's cool. Lou has a uh, full-body Under Armour layer it's cold out today after clothing. being 70 yesterday yeah it's not warm and uh it smells like any other uh stadium of cheese professional sports and it smells and like kind of a mixture between yeah peanuts cracker jacks beer and cheese steaks and everything in between uh the Yankees are dealing with injuries right now and, yes, and yes. you know what i was thinking about earlier lou is that this team is kind of so far a mixture between last year's team and a very new team in that they have kind of had to be that kind of overcoming injuries, underdog, do with do what you can with what you have team this year. Even though they have stars like Beltron and Ellsbury now, I think it's really interesting to see a, a, kind of an overachieving team coming out of the gates without David Robertson, without Mark Deshera, without Brendan Ryan. So it's a good test for this team earlier, right. and they're eight and six. They're doing pretty well. They're eight and six through the first game of this doubleheader. They're in first place. Uh, which really as, doesn't matter if you're 15-0 and 0 or 8-6, and 6, as long as you're in first place at this point. You can only, you know, only play what's in front of you. You know, what you say about last year is, is funny because Shane Green hasn't gotten into it, or I should say didn't get into a game while he was up from AAA. But if and when John Ryan Murphy plays tonight, I think he's number 30 already that's played for the Yankees this season. They used a franchise record 56 last year. They're already five past the opening day roster, and it's April 16th. Right. And I mean, it's just luckily, 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 outside of Francisco Cervelli, whose hamstring is apparently really bad enough that they put him on the 60-day DL, you know, David Robertson seems to have uh, pretty good control of the situation. He's, he's going to be ready to go on Tuesday. He, uh, you know, he's throwing a bullpen, I believe, tomorrow and then possibly rehab or a sim game he said on Saturday. So he looks like he's ready to go. Mark Teixeira is down in Tampa working out already. He may be ready to go on Saturday or Sunday. I believe Sunday is the day he's eligible. So those guys, you know, they missed him for 15 days, but that was a situation where it's a little tweak. Let's get it right it's early in the season. Last year it was one after another with Granderson and then Jeter and then everybody else on down the line. It's kind of one after another. So they're being tested early this year. But one thing that Joe Girardi said this morning that really resonates, and you saw it Sunday night with Carlos Beltran, and you've seen it, you may see it with Sizemore today, these guys are willing to do whatever's needed of them. Yanjervis Solarte hit six today. I mean, we made a lot of, I'll say jokes, at the expense of of some of the guys, you know, David Adams is hitting fifth today, last year kind of thing, because it was one of those things where you're like, how is this guy hitting fifth for the Yankees? No offense to David Adams. But now here we are again. Yanjervis Solarte hit six today, and you know what? It's working. Yeah, and, and he's willing to play anywhere he needs to. The difference is, last year, there really was nobody coming back that you were like, that's going to change things. Right. And, and Robinson Cano was really the only hitter in that lineup that was any risk to opposing pitchers. Now, you have Beltron and Ellsbury in your lineup every day and Brian McCann. So that's already better yep. in the middle of your order than it was last year. And when Mark Teixeira comes back, you're going to be reminded how deep and yep. powerful this lineup is. And, again, it, it does have a different feel. One thing also, Lou, that has surprised me uh, early in the year, the Boston Red Sox look different. They look like that winning charm is kind of gone. They, they look like they don't have the chip on their shoulder that right. they may have and, had and, last year, And obviously it's hard to have a chip on your shoulder when you're the returning champions. Right. And, you know, 
they have lost Dustin Pedroia. I guess did he play last night? I I don't know to be completely honest, but his thumb is uh, his thumb's been barking again. Mike Napoli's his finger wrist, was pointing in the wrong direction last night after sliding into a bag. Was literally yep. pointing sideways. That's going to keep him sidelined sidelined for a few days. Jacoby Ellsbury hurts a lot. Hurts a lot. They, I, I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr. is doing the best he can. And he's doing okay, but that's and Jacoby against Ellsbury lefties, hurts a lot. Johnny Gomes is your leadoff hitter. So there are some things about the Boston Red Sox that aren't looking good, which looks great for the Yankees because right. also the Tampa Bay Rays have lost Matt Moore and Alex Cobb, their two and three starters, for significant periods of time. Right, and they, they're already without Hellickson, who's their number five. We've already known that the Rays pitching is what keeps them alive. They don't have enough hitting to stay afloat uh, if their pitchers get hurt or if their pitching yep. gets traded or anything like that. This is really the time where the Yankees, you can't win it right now, right. but they can put some distance uh, in the rearview mirror right now because no other team is stepping up. And with the Rays, we'll see, you know, how deep that vaunted pitching is because if you look at it between what Hellickson's missed already and will miss and Moore and Cobb with, with one of them being out for the rest of the year, that's three-fifths of their projected rotation in early February when camp open that they're going to be lucky to get 25 starts out of between the three of them. And Chris Archer does not look great. That's another thing. Yeah. He's not hurt. He's healthy. He's, He's just, just getting hit. He gave, right. six in, gave up six runs uh, in five innings the last time he was out there. He's a young guy. He just got a big contract. You never know where his head's at right now. Right. Um, he might be getting a little complacent, as young guys kind of do sometimes when they right. get new deals. And that's where you need guys to step up. I mean, we'll see what, uh, you know, Odorizzi continues to do in that rotation. They have Eric Bedard waiting in the wings if they need him to. They have guys. It's going to be we'll see what they do. And, and that brings back to the Yankees. It's where these guys step up. Carlos Beltran is homered now after this afternoon in three straight games and to share his absence. Solarte has continued. He hasn't been as hot as he was early on, but he's still he's still hitting well. Ellsbury's coming alive. You look at the bullpen. Sean Kelly has been very good as a closer, minus that one appearance against the Red Sox. Adam Warren has gone from fringe fifth starter candidate to long reliever to this guy looks like an all-star setup man at this point. Yep. I mean, if things continue, he could be an all-star setup man at this point. You know, Matt Thornton has done his job as the situational lefty. David Phelps has gotten some big outs. Vidal Nuno took one for the team, so to speak, the other day, pitching a few innings in relief of an ineffective Nova. Every button Joe Girardi has pushed down there has been the right one. Right. And, and now David Robertson is going to come back in a, in a week or so. And, you know, if he's three-quarters of the pitcher he's been for five years, he's going to be a very, very good closer, pushes, a, you know, a very confident Kelly back to the eighth, pushes a – like I said, all-star looking setup man and Warren in the seventh, and it makes that game so much shorter for right. these guys. Right, and remember, at the beginning of the year, all we heard was people saying the Yankees have question marks. They got nobody on second. They got nobody at third. They got right. a 40-year-old at short. Well, we've seen those quote-unquote question marks you know, be put into light so far this year. You know, Brian Roberts has gotten hurt. Derek Jeter has gotten hurt. They don't really have a third baseman or a first baseman every day now that Teixeira is hurt. But guess what? They have people step up. They're in so first place. that whole argument that they have question marks at certain positions, it's not one that you can really make without looking at their bench, without looking at the guys they have in the minors, the major league ready guys who can come in right away and help. I, I'm just looking at the scoreboard as you say that, and they're showing the leaders in the league as they cycle through things. And Adam Dunn apparently leads the league in OBP, which might be how you know you are in the alternate universe. Because Adam Dunn strikes out, what, once every half at bat? So yeah, that, takes, that's pretty interesting. It's but, either a strikeout, walk, or home run. Yeah. You know him. Three true outcomes. No, uh, that joke aside, what you were saying about last year, too, now holds true in this regard as well. 
Last year, guys like Lyle Overbay, Vernon Wells, guys like that were having monster Aprils, holding this team together. They were in first place. Everything went well. They weren't able to sustain it throughout the entirety of the season. It's now important for those guys like David Robertson and Teixeira and those guys that are injured outside of Cervelli to come back and be able to stay come back. You know, Brian Roberts is uh, dealing with a bulky back a little bit. Jeter had the quad tightness. He's supposed to play tonight. This is where they need to hope that's just now and not right. lingers into May, June, July. Right. Because much like Vernon Wells and Lyle Overbay last year, you hope they can, but you can't count on Jan Jervis Solarte and Dean Anna and Scott Sizemore and these guys, and even Beltran as hot as he's been lately, to carry these kind of things into May, June, July, August when they're the only options you have. Right. Agreed. Well, we're going to see some more uh – reserves tonight as we said earlier it's going to be an interesting lineup and we'll probably see some of the cubs bench and that might be the first time anyone knows who any of them are <laughs> uh no I, I, it was funny because uh you know we were laughing in the press box earlier that uh, nate Scharholtz, uh Scharholtz, i can speak hit cleanup for the cubs in game one and he was one of the guys the yankees were looking at as their right-handed outfielder last year when eventually they went with ben francisco ben francisco hit cleanup for the yankees on opening day last year and here's Nate Scharholtz a few weeks after opening day hitting cleanup for the Cubs. It's just one of those funny, like, this guy could have been our right fielder moments. And right. much like everybody other than Anthony Rizzo, he looked, you know, helpless against Masahiro Tanaka today. But, again, everybody in the lineup minus Rizzo, who bunted and dropped one in over the shift, uh, looked pretty much, uh, pretty much helpless today. So, you know, like you said, we'll see what we get. Uh, we'll see, you know, Sizemore's got issues of his own. He's got the knee. You never know what's, what's going to happen with that. Solarte and Anna, again, career minor leaguers. Can they sustain things? It, it's still a long season to go. we got 148 games left to play, 147. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. That's really all we can do. Yes, sir. So with that said, as you hear Tony, Tony, Tony in the background, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Yes Men here, uh, quasi-live from Yankee Stadium Concourse. Uh, Jan Jervis Solarte still leads the American League in doubles right there. Look at that. Desmond Jennings, Chris Colabello, Salvador Perez. Didn't expect to see those four guys at the top of the list even this early in the season, did you? Big names. That's Big it. names. So anyway, now that really is going to do it for this edition of the Yes Men. Uh, he's Doug Williams. I'm Lou DiPietro. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Rate and review us. Keep listening to us on YesNetwork.com. Support Doug's other ventures, The Chris Sheeran Show, uh, every week, and Minor League Monthly, which we just put out yesterday. We'll be out uh, on the 15th or so of every month. So keep coming back for all your Yankees needs. We'll be here, and we'll see you next time.